Hello, and welcome to episode 108 of the Greater Than Code podcast. My name is Coraline Ada Emke, and I'm joined today by my co-host, John Showers. Thanks, Coraline. And I'm here to introduce our guest, Katie Malik. She is the CEO and founder of Dresscode Tech. Dresscode believes that there is beauty in innovation and technology. The company merges fashion and technology to excite and educate women and girls about computer science, coding, and STEM. She was named Remodista's 2018 list of women to watch in business disruption worldwide and the winner of the 2018 Innovation Award. Uh, welcome to the show, Katie. Hi, everybody. So nice to meet you and be here. Thanks for having me. So, Katie, we always start off a conversation with our guests by asking, what is your superpower and how did you develop it? I am able to create something out of nothing, I think, and take an idea, whether it's big or small, and put it into action and come up with a plan to kind of change something. So I love being able to take something that doesn't exist and make it real. I've always kind of been that way, but the older I get or the more I learn about myself, I think that that's really something that I'm good at and uh, like to do. So I think that's a superpower, I guess. Is that something you've explicitly worked on developing or has it just come to you naturally? I've always, even as a child, was very curious in things. I think the older I get and the more confident I get in my capabilities that I've worked to develop it over time. So if I look at jobs I've had prior to dress code or even starting dress code or some of the other projects I've worked on, it's an iterative process, right? Is the more you learn, the better you get and the more you can create when given a problem or when something doesn't exist. Katie, you mentioned confidence. I do a lot of work with early career developers in particular women and people from other people from marginalized communities. And I find that one of the constants that I see is a lack of confidence. We have very skilled, very intelligent, very creative, very driven people who they may believe in themselves, but they don't they don't believe that other people will necessarily see value in what they bring to the table. And um, there's definitely a lack of self-confidence that comes along with things like imposter syndrome or just the struggles of people who are earlier in their careers. What is your source of confidence? Uh, my source of confidence comes from a couple of things. One is knowing yourself and knowing your capabilities, but also being informed. So if there's something I don't know about or I'm not as educated as somebody else in, I try and I need to kind of be in a situation where I know I need to know that. I work hard to try and understand everything from every angle. I think sometimes when I do lack confidence and, you know, I think everybody kind of has imposter syndrome every once in a while is um, make sure that I am benchmarking and kind of tracking along the way some of the accomplishments that I've, I've accomplished. So you can then go back and look and say, okay, I may not feel really good about this, but if I look at X, Y, and Z, I've been able to move the needle a little bit. So I do think that that is something that has worked for me. Also, just back to knowing yourself and knowing your capabilities and positive self-talk versus being negative. So there's a lot of studies around how you talk to yourself and how you approach a situation. And so I think you can actually work to change your mindset on things. And instead of going initially to the negative or saying, I really suck at this, or 
I don't think I'm good enough is like, okay, what is going to make me good enough? Or what am I doing well to be able to kind of contradict the that negative self-talk? Yeah, I have a lot of problems sometimes with self-doubt. A friend of mine said I, I kind of shared some of the negative feelings about myself that I was that I was having. And she said, Would you say that to a friend? If you had a friend that was in that same situation, would you would you say those words that you're saying about yourself? And um, of course the answer was no. I, I would be supportive of a friend. I would build them up. I would try to instill in them confidence. But it's really hard for me to internalize that and apply that back to myself. For sure. I think – and I actually was um, in a situation I think last night – not to – I was at a soul cycle class last night and the instructor said that they had a team meeting and they had gone through this exercise where the instructors had to say something negative and something positive about themselves or their classes. And you have to think like soul cycle instructors are like some of the best spin instructors in the country, right? And so these people are in great shape. They're super motivated. They're super positive. And each and every one of them went directly to something negative. Like they couldn't go to that positive thing first. So I think we're always looking for the negative. I think just in human nature, sometimes we're trying to better ourselves and only look at the negative. So again, it's back to kind of like switching that. And it's something that is hard to do, but like I've had to work on it personally. I think when you are a creator or an in like a entrepreneur or even like in coding, like where you're creating something, you're always internalizing like, is it good enough? Is it the best? And like you have to kind of just flip it and say, this is actually really cool. No one's ever done this before. Or I've been able to figure out this problem. And yes, maybe it took me a couple days, but it could have taken someone else longer. So I think it's a matter of just being kind to yourself, not to kind of sound cheesy, but try to go to the positive first instead of the negative. And back to your point, too, of would you say it to a friend? Like, you have to be your best friend and talk to yourself like you would talk to anybody else and not be negative. But again, it's something I struggle with, too. So, Yeah, Katie, I liked what you said about paying closer attention to the accomplishments that you do have in your past so that you can use that as to sort of bolster your confidence. Uh, it's something I actually gave a, a talk on earlier in the year where I was, and I, I scoped it down to very much, very small wins, sort of like the, the everyday successes that you have that you tend to forget about after a day or two that you succeeded in doing whatever that thing was. And I'm actually developing some software right now to help track those things so that you, it can remind you like at the end of the week, Hey, you got 15 of these awesome things done and you probably forgot about 10 of them by now. Uh, and, and having those reminders can keep that negativity bias at bay. That's really interesting, John. I use a system. I'm a very disorganized person. So over the years, I've built up systems that keep me organized and keep me from having to rely on um, short-term memory. It's LFTM. You can find it on my GitHub. And uh, one of the things that I do now is I have a, a text document um, which is always open, um, called Accomplishments. And whenever whenever I do something that I feel proud of, I write it down along with the date 
and this might be something that I did or something that happened to me that made me feel good. But it's interesting you talked about scoping those because I tend to put the big things on there. I don't put the small wins on there. I think that could be really valuable because sometimes those big wins are made up of a lot of smaller wins. Indeed, they are. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually building it as a Slack bot. So it's, it's somewhere you are all day, every day anyway. So it's easy to dash those off without having to context switch too much. I love that. That's awesome. Send me it when you've got it done. Okay. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so, Kitty, I want to talk about dress code a little bit. Can you tell me, like, in practice, what dress code does? I think we got a good overview of, like, the strategic mission, but what kind of activities do you create? What kind of situations do you create for um, people who are interested in getting started in STEM? What does that actually look like on the ground? Yeah, for sure. So with regards to dress code at a tactical level is it's really we leverage jewelry or accessories to unlock lessons on how to code. And it's really targeted at girls 11 plus. We do have users between the ages of like eight, nine with their parents to women in their 60s. But we're still relatively new in building out our technology and our, our digital products and stuff like that. But we do have a curriculum today that gives our users or our dress coders basic knowledge on front-end web development. And so um, through our three lessons, our users have created a website all about themselves. So they're presented with kind of a blank canvas, and then they're able to go in and through self-guided lessons are able to kind of change um, the code to be able to create that website. So, and we focus, we've got our lessons include intros to CSS, JavaScript, and HTML right now. Depending on the age and level of knowledge, they take anywhere from 30 to 50 minutes to complete. And then after that, the user then has access to like a free edit, free code mode where they can go in and then manipulate and play with the code some more. Now, all of this is done behind our profile because we do have users under the age of 13 and there are um, some laws and rules and stuff with regards to privacy. So what we do then suggest is that someone wants a publicly facing site or something, they can copy that code and push it out on like a WordPress site or something like that. Um, again, it's pretty entry level at this point. So, you know, our goals at Dress Code are to expose more women and girls to coding, but we do believe that exposure and community are two of the biggest things that keep females engaged. And so it's really kind of like, let's show them that it can be fun, that you can create something that we like to take the approach that you're creating and not coding. And so that is kind of bare bones what we do today and how our, our platform works. So you utilize the bracelet. So um, our bracelets have computer science code on them or binary code. You go and you type that code onto our website and then it unlocks the lessons. Um, Long term, we'll look at other like very specific lessons in different languages and then other technologies as well. So um, we do have a pretty robust roadmap on how we how we want to grow the the platform. But right now, as we test and learn and gain new users, we have kind of those that base level entry into coding. So tell me a little bit more about the interaction between the fashion and the coding. That's that's a really fascinating uh, area. When I created it, I wanted to find something with, that was not 
that invasive and something that a lot of women and girls are already passionate about. So that being fashion or excited about. Uh, and so kind of the idea behind it is that you would have accessories that would unlock lessons or games or something that you would then be able to access and learn about different technologies. So today, um, it's pretty straightforward and pretty basic with our bracelets. Like I said, the bracelet just has the code on it and you take it to the site and unlock. You know, long-term, we'll look for people to actually create jewelry and stuff through like 3D modeling or put interactive technologies within the accessories. Again, that's on our roadmap and kind of the plan. So that's kind of it. And then if you think about just fashion technology as a whole or um, the retail technology, so they're kind of different, but kind of the same. If you look long-term, we like to leverage fashion because of the fact that on any given day, if you go to Indeed or LinkedIn or something like that, there's over 13,000 jobs available, technology jobs, as it relates to fashion or retail technology. So another element of that is just kind of the education factor on like, okay, there's all of these jobs in technology, there's jobs in banking and engineering and all of this stuff. But I think people kind of forget that there's this whole world of retail and fashion technology that need creators and need people that are passionate about design and kind of the whole process of shopping and fashion. So that's a whole nother element is like, this is real that if you do pursue a career in technology, whether it's in coding or you know, project management or something like that, that there's opportunities to work in the world of fashion or with a store or something like that. Yeah, I actually work for a fashion company. I work for Stitch Fix. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. So uh, we have some interesting things at the intersection of fashion and technology. A lot of what we do, of course, comes down to logistics, but the bulk mm-hmm. of our engineering team is there to support our stylists. And also to create and improve on our um, recommendation algorithms so that stylists are well informed about how certain articles of clothing or articles of clothing with certain features are more or less likely to be in line with the fashion sensibilities of a given customer. So um, it's very high tech. We do a lot of really interesting work and it's right on right on the bleeding edge and it is in fashion. And uh, our kind of philosophy is that everyone, and we just, we have a men's and children's lines now too, but that everyone deserves to feel good about themselves and that one of the ways you can feel good about yourself is the way that you dress and present yourself to the world. And that can really inspire a lot of self-confidence. Yeah, for sure. And actually, that Stitch Fix and Rent the Runway and Birchbox and some of these, well, not necessarily, I think Roxbox more or less, but some of these up-and-coming companies, are, they're not startups anymore. That was some of the reason why, you know, I thought of Just Code is that there's all this stuff going on in the retail space and the fashion space and that there's just all this opportunity. So I love what you said. Speaking of, of fashion, it reminds me of um, the movie Cloverfield Lane, which was a pretty interesting movie. But the thing that struck me the most about it was that hopefully it's not too much of a spoiler that the the heroine wins because her superpower is fashion. Uh, I don't I don't know if I want to give away too much, but that's that's the the ultimate message of it. And that just was really pleasing to me. I will have to see that. I have not seen it, but you've piqued my interest and want to see how it ends now. 
So one of the things that sort of comes to mind for me when I think about fashion and technology is the the, the advances that are going on in the Arduino community, uh, building microcontrollers that can embed in fabric. And I know there's some like flexible boards and conductive thread and things that can help you build some really sort of fascinating mergers of technology and clothing. Um, is that something you're looking at? Is that might might be a direction that you're going in? So I love that you kind of pulled it up. I think that ideally we want to get to a place where we are leveraging some of that stuff to teach people through different lessons and stuff like that. So looking at when you when you talk about those boards and being able to do things that light up and stuff like that or communicate, I think that it's something we're definitely looking to. Fashion technology as a whole is very interesting. And there's things even like with biotech that's being embedded into fabric to be able to like gauge your heart rate and other types of biotechnology. Well, that's more like wearables, but like there is like biotechnology and weird stuff being embedded into um, to fabrics right now to be able to do different and cool things. I was really interested in the fact that what you described, um, the programming is having girls and women create web pages for themselves. And I'm reminded of a conversation that took place on Twitter over the past couple of weeks. The discussion was about Neopets and GeoCities and how a lot of women who are in tech today got their start by customizing web pages and learning just enough HTML and just enough CSS to start creating things and how that gave them a passion for technology and kind of unlocked the fact that they could be themselves. They didn't have to fall into the, you know, the media depiction of what our technologist looks like. Um, they could be their, their full selves and be interested in the things they were interested in and um, still contribute to the online world. Yeah, Coraline, that, that was something that was popping up for me when you were talking, Katie, earlier about showing that there is a path into technology that doesn't involve sitting alone in a basement in the dark typing into a terminal, uh, which is the, the sort of stereotypical, horrible concept of what it is to be a coder and technologist, and showing that there are these myriad paths that you can take and that involve your creativity and that involve the other things that you're interested in. It's not just a single-minded obsession with writing the most efficient code, uh, I think is a really powerful way to impact how people can see their own futures. I love that. I hadn't heard of that, but I think I definitely can see how how being able to create is kind of the hook. And that's something that we saw early on is it's I think it goes back to the confidence of things and saying okay this isn't that tough and then you kind of build the skill and build the skill but before you know it you've built kind of this library of skills and you're able to do way more than you ever thought you could and to kind of circle it back to of you know when I said about being informed that's really kind of being informed without necessarily like going and studying a book or something. You're just kind of putting pen to paper and building your skills. I also love encouraging people to think of programming as a creative endeavor. I'm a very creative person. I do music, I do writing, I do art. And coding to me is a very creative profession. And I think a lot of people think it's all about algorithms. And unfortunately, a lot of companies, <coughs> Google, um, also think it's all about algorithms and efficiency and computer science. When really, if you're fortunate enough, you can find a job where 
it really is about tapping into your creative instincts. And it really is, as you put it, creating something out of nothing. And um, I think it's a really valuable lesson to teach. And it kind of takes me back. I first got on the internet in 1993, and there wasn't really content out there. There was no content that was coming from a corporate source. Everything that was there was contributed by individuals. And it was a very producer-oriented environment. And I think what we've seen with the corporate colonization of the internet is a consumer environment. And um, I think that's, that's detrimental on so many levels. So I love the idea of getting more people in a position where they can be creators and they can be contributing content and can be their full selves and explore the things they're interested in and create their own content instead of just reading Twitter or reading websites or reading magazines online. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that goes to the point of like AI, not to get really deep, but like AI and the personalization of content that's put forward, which is somewhat commercialized, right? So, you know, we live in a world where we're supposed to have access to all information, but with different companies or organizations that are utilizing the algorithms to push forth content, I think that's where human thought comes in and and back to the creative point is there is rigor in kind of how you build things, but you need that creativity to solve different problems or to create other angles to things as well. So it's kind of two things there, but, but for sure, we need more creators. I think, and if you even look at kind of like how education is changing today, it's like liberal arts versus like going down a path. It's like, Sometimes you need to be able to kind of think outside the box, whereas I think with the colonization of of the Internet and other things, we are we're becoming people that are much more kind of technical and you do this and you do this and you do this and then not really taught to kind of think outside the box. And I think that with different types of technology and different types of coding, you are able to kind of think that way. Yeah, it's just occurring to me now that at having even that little bit of understanding of how the web works that you would get from building something out of HTML and CSS and a little JavaScript is hugely empowering. It suddenly lets you understand what it is Facebook is doing when you're on Facebook. You're like, oh, I see how this is all being put together. And it's it puts you less sort of as just a a passive consumer of whatever it is they're producing so that you can think, oh, well, I know how they're making this. And now I understand that maybe, you know, the the posts that they're showing me are the posts they want to show me and not just the posts that I want to see and and start realizing that you can peek behind the curtain and have some insight into what's being shown to you and understand if that's being manipulated or uh, and just what that process of production is. I think it's hugely empowering. I think that comes down to a form of cultural literacy. So what we do, so we have, um, you can buy our bracelets online and access our products that way. But one thing we've started to do, I'd say over the last four months is having like in-home coding parties or pop-up coding shops where a group of people get together, think kind of like, like Stella and Dot or something where people come together and kind of look at some products and then what we what we offer is the ability to take one of our classes for free in a in a group setting. 
So it's really interesting at different levels. So we do it with like professionals or we'll do it with moms or we'll do it with girls. And it's really interesting to kind of hear the comments as people are working on this, the program together. And it's really funny when you get with people that work in kind of professional jobs, they'll be coding along and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I do this at work or oh my gosh, this is how that works. And these are people that aren't in traditional technology jobs, whether it's like marketing or HR or something. And it's really great and cool to see that light bulb go off. I love when that happens because I'm like, oh my gosh, you're able to take what you're learning and put it into practice today or tomorrow or whatever. Yeah, and I think doing it in a group is also a really interesting dynamic. I think it makes it a lot more fun. You get a lot more support in what you're doing, and you've got people to share the experience with, which is different from a classroom because classrooms tend not to emphasize collaboration and sharing, you know, because because for whatever reason, that's evil. Um, and so being able to just have a group of people sharing the thing and, and contributing information to each other and helping out, uh, which is way, you know, the way a proper team will operate in the world uh, of, of coding, I think is is really great introduction to working with code rather than the just sort of toiling silently on your own as you do your homework or learn whatever it is you're trying to learn. Yes. And with some of these parties, you throw wine into the mix and it turns into, <laughs> you know, very collaborative session. And it's very interesting to see these websites that people make at the end of 50 minutes at some of these coding parties we have. What would it look like if we all listened more? Listening to audiobooks inspires us, motivates us, even brings us closer. And there's no better place to listen than Audible. Audible is the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet. And now Audible members get more than ever before. Each month they get three titles of their choice, one audiobook, two Audible originals, and a fitness program that they can't get anywhere else. There's never been a better time to experience Audible. Right now, for a limited time, you can get three months of Audible for just $6.95 a month. That's more than half off the regular price. Give yourself the gift of listening. And while you're at it, think about giving the gift of Audible to someone on your list. For more information, go to audible.com slash greater than code or tax greater than code to 500-500. Our next book club is going to be Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert M. Persig. And guess what? It's on Audible. Download it and read along with us and get ready for us to discuss this wonderful book in 2019. Thanks. What kind of feedback do you get from people who do your coursework or who attend these these parties? Are you creating a channel for them to contribute back to what you're doing at Dress Code and to learn from their experiences? Yeah, for sure. Um, we have a really great community following and we see a lot of people coming back for more. So uh, we are constantly reaching out to our our dress coder base, that's what we call them, dress coders, and asking for feedback on what we're doing or what they'd like to see next. And we do that both at the individual level, but we also do work with corporations. So in the past, we've worked with some really large companies, Fortune 50 companies, on having them come and um, give us feedback on kind of how things operate and what they'd like to see more of. And so we like to keep our conversation with our customers very open. So uh, there's even some customers that I've like before dress code started, didn't know and I'm friends with now. And uh, we try to help them out where we can, if they have like 
a woman in tech day or something like that, or, you know, they're constantly coming back and saying, oh, we like how you did this, or um, could you change this? I think some of the biggest feedback we get when people go and use our program is that it's very pretty or very well designed and easy to use. And if you look at kind of some other online platforms, they're a little bit more sterile or just very they're not as creative. I think we spent a lot of time talking about creativity and I think we've really kind of put our target user in mind when we created kind of the platform. So our first one, uh, it's very visual. Um, there's a lot of use of color and when people go through the program, they're able to then go in and change like some of the imagery and uh, the colors and the words and headers and stuff like that. So yeah, the, I think the the key point or the key point of feedback that we typically get is that it is very inviting and very pretty. And then also that we do keep that open feedback loop open for our customers as well to give us feedback on how, how they like our site. And even like the overall end-to-end process too, not just like on the site, but how they're getting what it's like when they open the product for the first time and stuff like that. So we've been really cognizant of kind of the whole whole overall experience. That's great. I, I always respond really well to uh, sites and, and systems that, that have that level of design and friendliness and even quirkiness. Like I, I was a designer long ago in print, even before the web. You know, so I have a, a bias towards things that have that good design, and and so much, uh, so many websites these days are just in the sort of straight up and down. Here are some vertical lines and some background colors, and it's very businessy. And um, you know, I, I definitely find myself responding much more favorably when something can be a little more fluid, a little more creative, have some fun with color. Uh, I really like that. Yeah. So, Kitty, you talked about kind of a wide range of ages for participants in your program. I remember uh, back when my daughter was young, we felt very grateful. We homeschooled for a long time, and then we sent her to a, a democratic school. She wasn't really exposed to the social pressures that a lot of girls are exposed to in terms of what she was allowed to be interested in. And I think um, 11, 12, 13 is the age when a lot of girls are starting to get messages, social messages from their peers and from society at large that technology and science and STEM are for boys and that they get discouraged from being interested in it, from being passionate about it, from being creators. How have you seen that play out in your own interactions with girls at that age? I think that's a very key topic to hit on is something happens around eighth grade with the girls, either they discover boys or it's just, it's been proven out that if you don't get girls engaged by 13 or 14, you've lost them. And so it's very interesting when we do have these events and we do do them with teens and tweens, the younger girls jump right in. They're fearless. They'll do whatever. And you can see them start to get frustrated if, based on age because it really is designed for 11 plus. But if a girl is like in eighth grade or so, she tends to stand back unless her friends are there and unless there's kind of a support system. So it goes back to like that whole community aspect. And I just think that 
and from society too is from a young age girls have been taught one thing and boys have been taught another and even though schools are the same I think it, it it has to do with like confidence and growing into yourself and if not everybody else is doing it sometimes people shy away from it so you know studies like I said studies have shown that if you don't get them by high school you've lost them and then they don't come back again until uh like 24 25 I speak a lot on this topic a lot and there are some key things that can be done to keep girls engaged or let them know that it's okay to get excited about technology and coding and stuff like that and some of the some of the key points are making sure that their role models for girls because people will strive to be something or they are attracted to the idea of something that looks like them or um or if it's something that they want to be so when you're able to put role models in front of girls that are excelling in technology or are excelling in other things then it makes it easier for them to kind of see themselves doing it And then we've talked about this already, but the exposure to it, just playing with it, touching it. Uh, From a young age, I was surrounded by women in technology. My mom worked for Xerox. My aunt worked for Xerox. So I can remember conversations as a child around technology. So I think it's just giving people the ability to, to see and touch and feel. And then the other thing is allowing people to be curious or just ask questions and being able to fail in a safe place. And because like coding is hard, you're going to fail. Things are not going to work. So creating a safe space for someone to be able to understand and know that not everything is going to be perfect out of the gate. And I think, too, when girls get to that age of like eighth grade freshman year they only want to be seen one way they don't want people to see their flaws and so giving them the space to maybe it's not in public but to be able to like talk about things that frighten them or things that they may be uncomfortable with could help in kind of bridging that gap what does your daughter do now she's a writer I try to get her interested in technology. I try to get her interested in programming. Um, we did a lot of stuff with Arduino and uh, basic electronics when we were homeschooling her. I was responsible for the STEM portion of her education. And um, she enjoyed it as an activity that we did together. But she didn't really develop an interest in doing that on her own. She's always been attracted to the written word and the spoken word. So uh, that's her passion, and I'm happy to support her in that. I think she would have made her an excellent coder, but that's just not where our interests lie. Cool. So uh, we're coming up on the Christmas season, which I know is huge for gifts for children. Um, so do you have anything specifically planned around uh, this Christmas? Yeah, for sure. So um, as we approach holiday, we've got a number of different activities planned. Obviously, lots of great promotions, which... If you sign up for our email list on dresscodetech.com, then I don't want to like self-promote what we're doing from a sales perspective or from a promotions perspective. But if you want to learn more, feel free to sign up. And our best deals of the year are obviously around Black Friday, Cyber Monday. But also we're doing some really unique things this time, including or this year as 
pop-up shops, mainly in Chicago, because that's where we're based. So we partnered with another woman-owned small business for an event on Small Business Saturday, where uh, we'll be in their shop and uh, provide, like, making it fun. You'll be able to come and see our products, but also we'll have snacks and stuff. Uh, And that's in celebration of Small Business Saturday. We're also doing a day of STEM in December in Cincinnati. So uh, we'll be running simultaneous lessons um, at, where is it, Wilson Elementary School in um, the Forest Hills District of Cincinnati in the Cincinnati area. And then um, we'll probably do some contests around the holiday season. And so really looking forward to it. And I think retail as a whole, I I spent a few years in retail and e-commerce prior to starting my company. And I always get really excited, not just because it's the holiday season, but it's also kind of like the Super Bowl of retail. And so just looking forward, we always like to improve from year over year. This is actually our second holiday season. So internally, we have a lot of goals that we want to meet and surpass what we did last year. So I'm really excited to see how how the next couple months play out. So Kitty, it seems like a lot of your focus has been on getting more women and girls involved in STEM. Are you doing any kind of particular outreach to women and girls from marginalized communities? And I'm thinking like people from less well-to-do neighborhoods, people from black neighborhoods, people from Latina neighborhoods. Yeah, for sure. So we actually, about a month and a half ago, introduced a new program called the Gift of Innovation. So um, what we've done is we've partnered with Dress for Success Internet or Worldwide and Big Brothers Big Sisters Chicago. So we've hit both kind of younger girls and then professional women to be able to provide coding lessons. So we kicked off the campaign by giving away a thousand lessons to these organizations. So 500 to Big Brothers Big Sisters Chicago and then 500 to Just for Success Worldwide. And these programs for Big Brothers Big Sisters is obviously kicking off in Chicago and then Dress for Success, it will be in Chicago, LA, and New York, that they will be able to give lessons to their constituents at no cost. So we kicked it off. And then going forward, every time a bracelet is sold, we are then gifting a lesson to one of these two organizations. And long term, we would hope to kind of roll it out to other organizations. But um, we are working with these two um, great organizations. And if you don't know Dress for Success, what they do, they're in 130 countries and they provide clothing and uh, job skills training for women that are um, impoverished. And then, then Big Brothers Big Sisters is a mentor program that pairs at-risk youth with adults or young adults to kind of build networks and and do fun things together. So that's one thing that we do. We also do different fundraisers along the way. So a lot of times we'll partner with organizations and do like, we've partnered with Wonder Woman Tech, which is a global organization that works to expose women in underrepresented communities to technology. And through that, we actually have a bracelet that's co-branded that anytime one of those bracelets are sold, we then donate money back to their organization. And then when we look at some of these outreach programs, when we do stuff at schools, 
a lot of that is depending on the school. Sometimes we'll we'll do an event for free or something like that as well. That's so great. We're still so excited and so happy about the partnership, the gift of innovation program, both Dress for Success and Big Brothers Big Sisters have been wonderful partners. And we're really looking forward to see how that grows in 2019. So I know you talked a little bit about uh, future directions for dress code. Um, I'm thinking, do you have anything specifically planned for next year that you're excited about? Yes, I am super excited. We will be launching on a online retailer in January. There'll be a big announcement in early 2019 around it, but we will be selling our bracelets not only on our site now, but on another retailer site. And we're really excited about that partnership. There'll be some news around it and more to come there, but really excited for our first real wholesale partnership that will happen in early uh, 2019, we'll have a lot of stuff planned around uh, International Women's Day, Women's, Mo- Women's Month, which is in March. So we'll do a lot of stuff there. Um, we are working with some corporate partners, so there should be some big things coming then. I know that I sound kind of vague, but a lot of this stuff is in early development. But expect big things from Dress Code in 2019. So at the end of the show, we always do our reflections where we bring up something that really struck us in a conversation, maybe something that we want to change about our own lives or the way we work. John, do you have some thoughts about our conversation today? Yeah, this goes back to something I was mentioning earlier. Katie, when you mentioned having the the coding parties where people are, are running through your program uh, in a very social context, often maybe with a glass of wine, it's very informal like the difference between, you know, that and, and a, a classroom lesson like Railsbridge or something, it's not that different. But I think just framing it as a party, as something very, very social versus a classroom, which is very much not all that social, is a really powerful change in the way you think about the activity that you're about to engage in and about how collaborative it's going to be and how much knowledge sharing is there is going to happen there and so i really like the friendliness that you get when you say you know let's have a a, a rails install party or let's install linux or let's learn a little bit about javascript or whatever it is you're going to do but having it couched as a party where everyone's sort of doing this together and learning and laughing and failing and figuring things out just is a really powerful way of reframing what that activity is and what it's going to be like and and very much more welcoming than a classroom environment. So I'm really going to keep that in mind as I start talking about what these sorts of things can be. Awesome. And if you ever want to have a party, let me know. (laughs) Uh Um, I think the thing that struck me the most was early on in our conversation talking about confidence. And um, confidence is something I struggle with a lot. My public persona is a very self-confident one, um, but privately, I struggle with that quite a bit. And um, I love the idea of sort of focusing on your accomplishments and keeping a record of your accomplishments and that positive self-talk that you were talking about, Katie. I want to find a way to incorporate that more into my daily life so that I feel better about the work that I do and I feel better about myself and I can be a better role model to other people. So um, I really appreciated that. Katie, do you have any thoughts? I really loved the start to the conversation around fashion tech and retail tech. I think we could spend a whole hour talking about that. That gets me really excited. Um, What both of you brought up, too, also hit me. But I really do think that 
there's so much innovation going on in that space. And even talking about what was going on at Stitch Fix and being able to look at multiple facets of a business that is focused on fashion is just so cool to me. And I think there's so much that's going to come that we just don't even know about today that is going to change how we shop, that is going to change how we dress. And uh, I think that that's just a really awesome future. So. Yeah, and hopefully it's a future that's built by a lot of the 11 to 13-year-old girls who are getting involved early. Right, yes. <sighs> great. Well, it's been great having you on the show, Katie. Um, really appreciate your time, and it's been a good conversation. If you're interested in talking about fashion tech, or being a role model or anything else that we talk about on our program for as little as a dollar a month, you can join our community. Um, go to patreon.com slash greater than code. This will get you access to our Slack community. All of our guests and all of our panelists are there along with uh, a very energized, very enthusiastic and very caring and compassionate group of listeners. So uh, I encourage you to, to think about doing that and thank you. And we'll talk to you all soon. 